This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. <laughs> Have you ever walked into a party a few hours late? Everyone has been there talking and drinking and carrying on, and you're the sober one in the room. You quickly try to disguise yourself to blend in, but what's happening around you is not really making sense. Why are people acting the way they are? They're clearly under the influence of something that is taking them out of their true nature. Has your whole life on earth been this experience? What if the party you've crashed has been going on for thousands of years and you've just arrived? Have you always felt like an outsider, a stranger in a strange land? Perhaps you've been the black sheep of your family. Have you wanted to return home almost since you were born? While everyone else thought a heartless behavior was perfectly fine and seemed impervious, your heart was broken that such a thing could happen. Does that sound like you? Have you felt the density and heaviness of humanity as if you are Hercules lifting everyone around you out of negativity? Maybe you feel like roles were reversed as a child and you were the caretaker. Your whole life you've been told you're too sensitive and need to get a thicker skin. But accepting the way things are felt like an affront to your inner knowing and integrity. You often feel like you're taking on others' burdens and processing them. You need to regenerate your energy by sequestering yourself in your home like a hermit. Paradox, you feel urgency about remembering your purpose and bringing your light to humanity. Your life so far may have been pretty bumpy. You've experienced more than your share of tragedies, sometimes all at once. Childhood abuse, emotional neglect, physical attack, abandonment, bullying, illness, accidents, poverty, rape, incest, shame, blame, guilt, judgment. Perhaps you've considered or attempted suicide. Which did you experience? All of the above? To lift out of the darkness, you found yourself interested in, even compelled to explore, healing modalities and spirituality and psychology. You've never felt like you were home on Earth. So Carrie Hummingbird says to you, Welcome home. Doesn't that feel good? It means that we reach the point of our mission, where the tide is ready to turn and we are going to do what we came here to do. It's about to get really amazing on Earth. Valeria interviews Carrie Hummingbird, 
Soul Guide, who inspires people to lead their lives wide awake with an authenticity, passion, and purpose that positively impacts others. She catalyzes mind shifts that transform life challenges into gifts of wisdom with her Reinvent Yourself programs for individual and group mentoring. She is the international best-selling author of The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama, and the award-winning best-selling book, Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love, which describes the early years of her spiritual awakening. She has served as a social activist, leader, and philanthropist for over three decades. She is the founder of the Skills Not Pills movement and host of Soul Nectar Show. Here is the interview with Carrie Hummingbird. In your own words, who is Carrie Hummingbird? Carrie Hummingbird is my highest, best potential self that I work towards creating in every single moment. It's, um, it's a vision I had years ago at the end of a 20-year relationship and at a crux, a turning point in my life. And I got a vision from spirit of a hummingbird at the end of a drum journey. And it was completely unexpected and awe-inspiring. And that's when I opened to this spirit connection that uh, there was more to me than I thought and that I had support. And so I became Carrie Hummingbird. And ever since, it's been this uh, journey of who is that? Who is Carrie Hummingbird? What would Carrie Hummingbird do right now? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, this constant dance, right? Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what is life to you, Carrie? I think life is an expression and an experience of the divine through its creation of organic material so that uh, we can learn and grow and experience and discover and expand and evolve and have this, uh, you know, this ongoing playground for understanding ourselves. And I think this uh, life experience, this tangible life experience is a reflection of, of that creative power of the divine. What do you think is the opposite of life? I think that uh, this life that we're experiencing right now, it's just uh, temporary. You know, it's a temporary expression. But I think after this, there's a void of possibility. And that void of possibility, that infinite knowing, that infinite presence, the infinite I am is always present. And it knows itself through that omnipotent quality, but it also knows itself through these life expressions, through these these intangible, time-based, linear-based life expressions that in the other space are happening all now. So... It's all consciousness, and I always call life this expression of consciousness in a material form. What is to be authentic? I think being authentic is being is listening. You know, listening to yourself, listening deep inside, listening to all the aspects of you, being willing to hear those, and then being willing to act from that space, that authentic, true self that's within you, the essential nature inside of you. Uh, even if that causes disruption, 
you know, in your outside world? How do we know when we are coming, acting, living from that space within? Yeah, you know, I think it's an on, it's an evolution, right? It's an ongoing discovery process. So we can think we're being really authentic in one moment and then have some new discoveries about ourselves through a series of experiences that are all spirit aligned. And then we can know something new about ourselves that brings us into another level of authenticity. And then we completely look back on ourselves and go, boy, you really weren't being authentic, but you were being authentic the whole time, you know? So I think authenticity is an evolution. It's an evolution of just self-discovery. And so it's, it's, that's why it's not a set and done. It's not like, oh, okay, I figured that out. Okay, check, done. I'm always going to be in that spot. No, it's going to evolve because we're going to learn and grow and change. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom to me feels like flow. So I'm a manifester by design, if anybody's familiar with uh, human design type. So for me, I'm very particularly sensitive to spaces that feel stuck and things aren't moving. So for me, freedom is when stuff's, when everything's moving and it's flowing. When it's flowing, I feel free. I feel great. I feel like, wow, this is all in alignment and it's all flowing and it's happening. And I'm, I'm sort of, you know, moving from one thing to the next and it's delightful. And when it's, when it's not, when it's stuck, it doesn't feel free. When, it, when it's stuck, it feels like it stopped moving. Do you connect flow to surrender, letting go, and perhaps acceptance? I think letting go is part of being getting into the flow because in order to get into the flow, we have to let go of our identification or our attachments to certain paradigms and ways of looking at things in order to get into the flow. But I think flow is actually more like an alignment because the flow is always there. All we have to do is align ourselves to it. And sometimes the aligning to it is a letting go. And sometimes the aligning to it is pushing through a block that um, is a stuck place. And so there's a teaching through that block. And if we can move through the stuck place and through the block to discover the teaching, then the teaching will set us free to be in the flow again. So sometimes it's, it's about surrender and sometimes it's about, in, you know, moving even more deeply into whatever the thing is that's causing us feeling of being stuck. Yeah, I love the way you always bring the conversation back to this constant change, like just moving with life. That There's a lot of wisdom in that. So when you say block, do you also mean overcoming fear? Would that be connected to fear in a way? I think fear is a tool of transformation. And fear is a sign, feeling sense in our bodies that something's out of alignment and that, you know, we're in a new space where, you know, maybe something new is happening and uh, we're not familiar with it. And so we're entering the unknown. And so then there's fear associated with that because it's not predictable. And, you know, the egoic personality sure does love predictability, <laughs> really <laughs> loves things to be the same. And so it's the ego that keeps trying to make us like say, okay, it's one and done, set it and forget it. That's just the truth now forever. This is my authentic self forever. I never have to think about this again. And that's, that's the lie. The lie is it's constantly in flux. It's, it's, you know, it's a constant evolution. Of, it's a discovery process. So fear is just an indicator to us that the ego is like, uh-oh, here's another thing you're going to ask me to change and I don't want to change. <laughs> I don't like this. That's true. So in a way, Carrie, it's uh, this process of becoming authentic is actually being used to being 
comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yes, the uncomfortable is, as many teachers have said, that's the space to lean into. If you're not being actually hunted by a lion in this exact moment, and there isn't a direct threat to your safety, where fear would be an appropriate response, you know, then if you're feeling that fear or that discomfort or anxiety about changes happening in your life, you can be sure that's your ego. That's, you know, and it's not in a shaming, jaming, um, judging, blaming way. It's more in just a recognition, like my ego doesn't like change. My ego is designed to get me into a space where it knows what's going to happen very predictably. And it likes to keep me there, you know, because it doesn't want to work too hard. It's a very efficient system. But if you want to grow and evolve, you've got to lean into the discomfort, into the places where you're not sure what's going to happen next. So the ego has a lot to do also with control because it wants to be comfortable all the time. It wants everything to be predictable and to know things. It also leans toward control. Yes, and and that's exactly why the world is uh, in in the predicament it gets into is because people uh, make an idea about what would create safety and then um, entrench on that idea and then align themselves in groupings along those ideas for further reinforcement of um, feeling of control and then try to get everyone else to agree with that idea so that they can feel safe because we're all agreeing. So the interesting thing is I've never seen that work. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) Ever seen it work. You know, the the whole mask thing with the COVID experience, this has been such a great example of this because half of the people or whatever, some percentage of the people um, did research and, and discovered that, oh, well, if I wear this mask, then I'm safer. And if other people wear this mask, I'm even more safe. And so everybody should wear this mask. Otherwise, I don't feel safe. And then the other people said, well, no, this mask means, you know, conformity. This mask means loss of freedom. This mask means control. And I'm not going to wear this mask because I'm afraid of losing my autonomy. I'm afraid of losing my freedom. And so if you're wearing a mask, then you're obviously someone who doesn't care about freedom and you're just going to be a sheep and a follower. And so these, these different camps of people, you know, they're really entrenched on perspective about themselves and about the other people based on an idea made about a thing that didn't even have any cultural significance three months ago. Like, it happened that quickly. That leads me nicely to my next question, my predictable question, which I already had here. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And what is your vision for a new reality? I think the world's greatest need is a realization about where does safety lie? Like, where does safety come from? Because a lot of the world is in the perspective of being a body, and that's all they are. Even if they go to church, they still think they're just a body, and divinity is someplace out there. And the shift in identification into the realization that divinity is right at your fingertips. Divinity is right inside your heart, inside your lungs. It's inside of you. It surrounds you. It's all, you're enveloped by it. That that realization creates the safety because when you learn to trust yourself, your soul, yourself, then you can realize that your soul is leading you through a journey of discovery that's uniquely designed for you 
And as you trust that voice, that self, that soul that's guiding you and synchronistically moving you or giving you realizations or or inviting you to have new experiences that open doors, that self is guiding you. That self is you actually. And that part of you is is the one that looks out, you know, through your eyes, the one that that leverages your being to have experiences. And when you realize that, you realize that you're eternal and you're not temporary. And it's only this costume you're wearing that's temporary. And you can have compassion for it. And not only compassion, but extreme interest in discovering all of its potentials because it's temporary. It's not going to come back. It's never going to be like this again. So might as well love it to pieces, like just every little piece of it, you know, like (laughs) you, you love it. So my next question, warm-up question, I'm almost there with them. What is love to you? Love is alignment to true nature. And it's an act in the human sense to align yourself to true nature, which is love. So being loving is taking yourself from wherever you are and overcoming that resistance to bring yourself into alignment with your true nature, which is love. So taking a loving action is bringing yourself from, let's say, a state in a conversation of feeling threatened, which would be the egoic self, to overcome the resistance of that, to to breathe into that, to use your tools, to open that up, to take a loving action, which would actually be an action from your essential self alignment with the frequency of the divine, which is love. My next question has to do with peace. What is your understanding and idea of peace? You know, I've been I've been contemplating peace quite a bit because I've been exploring my gene keys and peace is my pearl of wisdom. It's my pearl in my chart. And as I've been exploring this, peace is linked to like discord and, and disagreement. So it's through the discord and this disagreement and the exploration of that, the exploration of the polarity, that we can actually come to understand ourselves better and open out of the entrenchments to see that, wow, this is a construct that's here for me to understand myself better, to discover myself better. And it's not personal. And so when we can see that from that perspective, now we get into this, you know, this expansion, um, this, this deep, wise, expanded space of um, omnipotence, really, like just that, you know, that we can take little tiny glimpses of here and there and go, wow, okay, that's the grand design. That's powerful. And we can start to see the world from that place. We are at peace because we know that the design of conflict is there to help us to see something new. So we don't have to argue that conflict shouldn't exist or that, you know, this should just be all peace. No, it's there to help guide us. It's friction. It's, it's the thing that, that uh, makes the diamond. The opposite of love, the opposite of peace. Would you say fear? Again, fear of the unknown? I would say fear. And I would say for people who have an extreme aversion to conflict, there's probably something in early childhood that where the, where the person, you know, was tiny and felt very... Um, out of control and at the mercy of others who were angry or fighting or, you know, um, creating an energy that felt frightening to the child. And, um, you know, maybe even there was abuse. And so the more that a person has had, an, you know, a, a childhood like that, 
it could lead to an aversion to conflict as, um, you know, as a path of ascension. It can be like, oh, this is toxic. I don't want to be near this. But if you go into the idea that it's toxic and you actually, you know, have empathy, this is where empathy is a powerful tool. This is not an easy thing. Empathy is not like a sweet light kind of thing. It's a very deep personal uh, thing to, to overcome your personal bias and what you think is toxic and what you think is beautiful. And to go into that experience to understand it and to see it from another viewpoint, which opens us, right, to that big cosmic picture that I was talking about. Yeah, and that's so true. And it has been very much my case for many years. So that's very interesting that you say that because now it has changed in my case where I see conflicts. I don't reject them. I still go into it, but with calm and I still tell my truth, what I have to say, although the body's shaking, really. <laughs> That's interesting. Yes, because your your body's in fear. Yeah, your little child inside of you is like, this is really scary. Why are you making me do this? <laughs> yeah, isn't that interesting, Carrie? Yeah, and I'm just like observing the, the reaction of the body. But then it's not in alignment with the mind and with the heart, which is still going through whatever I have to go through. Does it go away at some point? The, the body reaction to conflict? I feel like this is a journey. And I feel like the more that we choose to lean in to the body responses, the body reactions, as you call them, the way that our body is giving us clues, the more that we lean in and we explore that, I believe that we, it's been my experience that there's actually spaciousness created in the body from that um, witnessing and that release of energy because it's trapped energy. So, you know, when you lean into a conflict, um, you know, you're, you're releasing trapped energy that might be there from a really long time or from some other traumatic incident. You're releasing that energy. And when, you, when the energy is released, that bit of space is cleared. And now your soul can fill that space more, if you know what I mean. So there, you're less dense. Oh, so that's density, right? The energy is just vibrating really low in a way. Yes. That is so interesting. Yeah, I usually meditate after that happens. I just become quiet and try to understand and cry even if I have to. So what a journey, huh? Yeah, it's powerful. You know, I had this <laughs> yeah. teacher, Alberto Vialdo, from uh, the Four Winds Light Body School where I got trained. He often tells a story of, you know, if there's... um. Uh, an animal running for its life, let's say a tiger is chasing it across the, you know, the plains. And it, and it, it gets, it gets um, it's running for its life, right? It has fear. But then let's say it gets away. The first thing it does is start shaking it off. It literally shakes it off from its, toe, its nose to its tail. It shakes off the experience. The difference between animals and humans is that we don't shake off the experience. We hold it. We keep it. And because we do that, it gets to be trapped energy. So then when that energy gets released, when you have an opportunity, like you were talking about, the energy then gets released the way it would have gotten released in the first place if we had just let it go. Maybe that's why dancing is so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love to dance. <laughs> yeah. What, where, and who is God to you? Well, I like to use, a, you know, whatever word resonates for people, God, source, creator, universe, Holy Spirit, 
Yahweh, you know, there's so many names. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really all that is, it's everything, all that is, everything you see, experience, feel, all the vastness that we, that is the void that we, we think there's nothing there, the invisible space, the, you know, all of it, everything. There, There can't possibly be anything outside of that, all there is presence because it's all that is. It's everything. And so that's why when we decide that, oh, something's unpleasant and then label it as toxic and then say, well, that can't be God. Now we just created separation. We just said, that's not God. And so we just denied God in something that it can't possibly be anything other than God because it's all that is. I never heard it that way, the way you just said it. That's (laughs) profound. We deny God every time you push away the opposites, anything that we perceive as bad, because everything is God. Everything is God. I mean, how do you know things? Like when you have something toxic happen, how is it that you learn that that's not a good thing to do? Is that when you do it, you have to do it, right? You do the thing and then you experience what it's like to do it. And then you go, oh, wait a second, it doesn't feel good. And then you make a choice, right? So then you decide, oh, I'm not going to do that. We have to experience it. So we have a lot of polarities. We have a lot of things that people would label as toxic that happens. And not to say that I, I say, oh, those things are wonderful and they should stay. I just understand that oftentimes we need to experience those things in order to know that that's not something we want to be doing. Do you think one day for all of us become quote unquote, enlightened? Well, you know, here's an interesting thing. I think that uh, it very well could, but not for the reason that you think. I think that basically what I've noticed on my own journey of awakening is that I become more and more empathic and more and more psychic. And when with a high degree of psychic, there isn't, you know, lying just doesn't exist, right? Like if you're, <laughs> when, when more people are psychic, the lying goes away as a modality because it's not possible. Everyone knows everything. So you can't really lie anymore. So cheating, stealing, lying, all of these things. And also you can't deny the experience of another because you're empathic and you're psychic and you can feel it and perceive it. So yeah, there's going to be a big change in how we relate to each other as our pineal glands open and we become more empathic and more psychic. What do you see when that happens if it happens i feel that as we as we go down this path i feel what will happen is that we will let's say we'll have a polarity meeting together and we'll go oh here's a polarity and then instead of engaging in a drama over it we will be going wow that's an interesting polarity and there'll be much more of a sense of you know curiosity and discovery in the process of understanding why this polarity was created for each of the people that are witnessing the polarity. So it would be much more um, interest in understanding the polarity and moving through the polarity than there will be about entrenching in it and, you know, and creating a bunch of drama over it. I love that you use that word in your book as a subtitle. (laughs) 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 That is great. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? 
Oh, there's definitely a difference. Um, I think that spirituality can happen in moments in a religious context. Um, for example, like with a lot of singing, you know, and really activating the heart and passionately and fervently and faithfully, that that can activate a feeling of spirituality. And I believe that, you know, there are some environments where, you know, they're into the experience. But, you know, a lar- largely religion seems to be, from my perspective, um, a head-based thing. Like, let me read this thing and try to understand it and intellectualize it and then try to apply it to my life. And then there's a lot of arguments about what it means and this and that. And I think that um, spirituality is more about experiencing and feeling. So it's much more heart-based. It's down in the body. And it's about using the senses and having an experience of spirit, having um, an inner experience of spirit rather than sort of like an externalized you know, idea about God. So let's talk about your work. What was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, The Second Wave? Well, I got a, I got a tap on the shoulder, as uh, some of us do, <laughs> time to time from spirit. Mm-hmm. And the tap on the shoulder said, you're writing a new book. And I said, oh, okay, what, what book am I writing? And this knowing said, The Second Wave. And I said, well, what's that? And and I was reminded I'd seen a little video from Dolores Cannon about this, who is a t- you know a teacher for decades, and she just passed away a few years ago. But she had done a lot of work for decades in hypnosis and bringing people into really deep states of hypnosis to ask questions of the subconscious or what we might refer to as the soul about the person's life. And so um, during this. Um, process, she was interviewing different people who were in this state of deep hypnosis and asking their souls questions. And the souls would start to say things like, well, I'm in the first wave or I'm in the second wave. And she's probed deeper to understand what this meant. And so essentially there are volunteers to the planet um, that have decided to come and be a part of this experience of awakening human consciousness. And so in order to do that, because this is a planet of non-interference, meaning that everybody has free will, um, then uh, you have to embody as human and you have to go through the experience of, most of us go through the experience of amnesia, forgetting who we really are, embodying, thinking all we are is a body and then thinking, wow, I got to protect this life form because this is all there is and you know, going through the whole human experience. And so there's been a lot of strains of suffering um, in the human um, DNA and through ancestral lines. And so we selected, each of us that chose to come, selected a certain um, human line for its beautiful gifts and also to clear patterns of suffering um, from the DNA through our own life experience. So many of the people in the second wave, um, they came in to be part of this transformation, to embody and heal things from the inside out. And a hallmark is that you never forgot what love was. You never forgot. You were like, this is not love. I'm going to keep going until I find love. And, you know, didn't get lost in the woods, you know, and kept moving forward and found like all the self-help you needed to get yourself to the next level of understanding. So, um, and then probably for the last couple of years, started feeling like now is the time I'm supposed to be doing something really important. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> I need to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> like there's something really important. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably all signs that you might be part of the second wave. And how many waves are there? What I've heard is one, two, and three for this transition to happen. And that's all I know right now. I mean, that's all I'm aware of. I'm totally focused. My, my purpose is about the second wave. Okay. And then I guess 
My next question has to do with the age of Aquarius. Talk to me about that. This might be the right moment. Absolutely. I love the age of Aquarius. I was actually listening to the song from the 60s, you know, the age of Aquarius. <laughs> yeah, <that's funny>. And, <laughs> and, you know, when I listen to that song now, I think this is, sounds like a, a total alien person inside this body. Yeah, like, right. It's just the, the love vibration is so amazing. And and they paved the way. So they, we think of them as the first wave. They paved the way. They planted the seeds in a really powerful way in people's consciousness of a whole new potential. And now the second wave, we get to, you know, we get to bring that more into being for the age of Aquarius. And so they were like the prelude, right? Like they were giving us a sign. Hey, this is coming. By the way, we're going to plant a big seed in the human consciousness about this by being so radically loving and different than humankind. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds so amazing. This is um, happening now. So the age of Aquarius started, do you know when? Well, I think it's there's a lot of debate about when the moment is exactly that it started because I feel like as you know, as like with astrology, things move into position. And long before they get into the exact alignment, you're still feeling the effects of it. You know, you're still feeling that. And so we're in the transition phase and we've been in this transition phase for the first wave, the second wave, and probably the third wave. So where the exact alignment point is, I would I would be challenged to say the exact alignment point. Um, I think I did put some dates in there for that I was given when I was channeling the book. But I think that the more important thing is to realize that we've been in the energy of this now for, you know, my lifetime, 50 years or something. And we'll be in another 50 years or longer um, as we make this transition. And then we'll be, we'll be knowing a lot more. And this is actually a really radical, a radical transformation. When you look at the whole of human history, we'll, we'll see this as a radical time of transformation, just a couple few generations of people. Yeah, that's amazing. So it's happening fast. Very fast. I mean, we can feel it in the air. We can see it all around us. You know, it might, people might look and say, but I see people acting worse than ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quite the opposite. <laughs> you know, but that's because the tensions are, you know, you're seeing the, the starkness of the polarities because, because we are shifting it and it's, it's getting close to breaking. What is to be a soul guide and when did you become one? That's a really good question. <laughs> when did I become one? Uh, depends on which which eye you're talking to. Mm, if you're talking true. to my soul, I think I've been doing this a while. But if you're talking to Carrie, the Carrie that I am started this uh, transition nine years ago into my own personal healing and then started helping others probably six years ago, five or six years ago in this third dimensional experience um, with coaching and things like that and energy healings. And and this word soul guide is a culmination of a lot of um, trying things out with people like, okay, well, does this make sense? You know, what is it that I'm actually doing? What am I doing? Am I just energy healing or am I doing something else? And it's an evolution. So I really realized that I'm just here to guide people on their own journey. I'm not here to you know, give you the next uh, guru instructions for how to live your life. You know, I'm here, I'm <laughs> yes. here to help you uncover your connection and your path and to, you know, your intuition and your psychic gifts and your ability to connect to your soul and your perception and your human design. Like I'm just help 
helping, you know, like a doula, you know, helping you to birth your way. And you don't need me forever. It's just for now. You just a little bit of help and then you got it because your soul knows what to do. What is the difference between passion and purpose? Are they somehow the same? Well, I think they can be aligned together. Uh, You know, I think passion is that feeling in your heart, you know, that you really just be passionate about something, you know, like I'm very passionate about, about uh, diversity. You know, I'm very passionate about honoring the diversity of the creation and the human experience and, and honoring that it's all beautiful and perfect and exactly the way it is. And I have a purpose in helping others to see what I see. You know, um, I have a purpose in in being a messenger and being having the vision, the clear vision to see the possibility and then to bring that into a way to bridge that, to help people see. So it, my passion and my purpose are aligned. Like you mentioned before, the spirituality is this personal experience. It can be felt. So it's not just induced when it comes to intuition and the soul's um, wisdom. It can be felt profoundly. It's an inner experience. And, you know, it changes the function of the group. You know, like we all want community. We all want to be able to share a community. But we're switching now from a model of the community telling you how to do it the right way to a community helping you to unfold to the right way for you to connect with your soul. It's a very different alignment than we've seen up until now. Do you think we might get ourselves into the challenge of trying to tell people what to do? (laughs) <laughs> That's a trap. Yeah. yeah. It, it rebuilds itself, right? Always. So. Well, we talked about because the, the ego really wants to be safe. And so it loves like to know like, here's this label and I'm going to put you in this box and that's who you are. And that way I can just go to sleep and treat you this way because I've decided who you are. And, you know, whenever you see yourself doing that, you know, as we have more and more consciousness, we can open up and say, oh, I'm doing that again. Okay. And not and not judge it. You know, like I said, the ego is just trying to make its job easier to like identify threats and not threats. So if we can just open to this is a default mechanism that is on autopilot and then with mindfulness, take it off the autopilot and put it back into manual control. It's like we can go, okay, I see that you're trying to protect me, ego. Thank you so much. And in this case, that's a false conclusion. So let me educate you about a false conclusion, you know? So you can retrain your ego. You can reprogram it so that it doesn't make quite so many faulty assumptions and conclusions. Is there such a thing as being ego-free, Carrie? I don't think, I don't think so. I mean, we need a system to help us to walk, without having to think about walking, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we need a system to help us keep breathing without having to think about breathing. So you're connecting the body itself to the ego. Yeah, the body, the ego is the, is the operating. So I got this one time during a journey that was really profound. The ego is the autopilot system for your vehicle. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, and and the reason why there's so many layers of protection between your soul taking control of your vehicle is because 
you have to have a certain level of understanding about this third dimensional experience before your autopilot protection system is going to let you take manual control. It's a smart design, actually. It's very smart. Why do we need it in the first place? That's one of the questions that I ask myself. Why all this got started? Well, think about it. Like, let's say, let's just imagine. And this is, you know, this is just an imagining. So we don't have to get mm-hmm. attached to it. We can just imagine. <laughs> yeah. all right. Let's just imagine that, you know, you're from another star system. And, you know, your your soul is from another star system. And it's used to a different kind of experience. And then it decides, oh, I'm going to go study in Earth school for a little while. And it comes down into the Earth human form. And it has no idea how to operate this thing. (laughs) Like, it just came into a whole new car and doesn't know how to operate this thing. So wouldn't it be helpful to have an autopilot system to kind of guide you along until you get the hang of this thing and know how to operate it? True. (laughs) Right? So it makes sense to me. It does, yeah. Oh, that's the way... Okay, that's the way you understand or that way that came to you. That's interesting. That's what came to me on a journey. And I was like, oh, that makes total sense. And so this is a very a smart system that isn't going to let you do anything to harm this vessel, you know, until you've proven that you know how to, how to come bring your life into it. Now, now, the tricky part is if you don't figure out how to, how to bring your, your soul into your body fully, what happens then is that, you know, your egoic self can get so crushed under the weight of, of um, the pain of existence on this planet that it can just want to, it, it can have a self-destruct. Like, I just want to get, I want to stop. I don't want to do this anymore. So let me ask you a question about the subtitle, Transcending the Human Drama. So one of the things that I have found with the human experience, the most profound pain that I have come across, not from my own experience, but just um, observing and being around people who have had the experience of losing people that they love, that they're attached to. So in this case, would you call it drama? No, I would call that heartfelt love. Grief is a hallmark of love when you lose somebody. You, you, You can't stop that. From happening. It's not like you're saying, I'm going to be grieving now forever. It's that you you actually love that person so much that when you think of them, you feel grief beyond any, you know, desire to feel grief. You just feel grief. Grief is. And so as we lean into that experience of grief and allow ourselves to feel that, there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually a beautiful expression of the amount of love that you had for this person. And just allow yourself to feel that and and honor that, and and you know, and on top of that, I'll add, and this is not, a, please don't take this as a spiritual bypass at all, but it's it's like I've realized that I lost my dad a few years ago, and it's been the most painful experience of my life because I do love him so much, and even as I'm talking, I can feel the emotion rising within me, the grief, and I also know that my dad, because he is outside his physical body, he's actually been more of a support for me now than he could have been had he still been in his physical body. So he has been a tremendous support to me in my journey since he departed the physical plane. He's been with me nonstop. He's been with me whenever I call. He's always here. 
And it's because of his ability to do that when he's not in a physical body, he's, he's not co-located. You know, he can he can be many places at once. So I I see it multiple ways. I grieve his loss in the physical dimension and I love him completely. And I wish he was here so I could hug him and I could hear his laugh and have his silliness in my life. And he is with me all the time. Some people, they drink and they... They're so deeply sad that they become depressed and they don't function anymore. So do you think that this is also part of their spiritual awakening and their journey? Well, I, I definitely believe it is because in my case, my dad departing this physical plane, he his departure was my next training ground, my next self-mastery ground. Because um, without him there his constant unconditional love in my family, my family structure just fell apart. And then I was called forth for greater self-mastery out of the places that I would have never left had he still been here. So I'll just say one example is that I, my dad always just took care of things, right? He just was the one who would compassionately listen and make peace. And he was the one who, if you needed help, he would give you help and support. So while I didn't call on that help, I oftentimes I would just do it myself because I felt very, you know, self-empowered. But I always had that safety net there. And I always felt like entitled to it too. Like I expected it to be there. So when he left and then my mom didn't act the same way, I was really upset. And I felt like I had been, you know, betrayed. And I felt like, um, wait a second, you're supposed to do this, this, and this for me, and you're not doing it. You're supposed to, you know, act this way and you're not doing it. And that was a huge growth ground for me. It's been really a lot of lessons and a lot of personal pain and a lot of growth from that pain to make me into a more effective leader that I am today, not only in my own family in my with my children, but also as a leader in the world. So we can argue with these things that happen or we can see that this is part of the soul's journey and the departure of that loved one is an invitation for the next level of self-mastery and whatever it was that person was helping you to master in your lifetime. Now it's time for you to do it. Yes. Wow. So it goes back to that other truth that everything's connected. We're almost at the end. I want to ask you another question. I have so many. We'll talk for the next 50 hours, but let me just choose one. Yeah, talk to me about the Reinvent Yourself programs. Is that online or in person? So I do them virtually because, uh, you know, with our current world, we... It's really helpful, you know. True. I, you know, I have them over over uh, online conferencing, and we meet on online conferencing, and uh, and there's a teaching program. So a number of years ago, I downloaded a number of teachings um, from my soul about how to reinvent yourself, and these were all the things that I used in my own reinvention, and um, also some new information. So for me at the time, so I channeled the entire course and meditations, healing meditations and things like that to help people shift through some pretty common structures that that were all shifting at this time. And that's the basis of the program. So 
in in this way, people have constant access to these teachings and to do the meditations as much as they want and to rewatch things if they want. And then I, I meet with people every couple of weeks and we do um, in the moment spontaneous, what's up for you right now? You know, just targeted mentorship. That seems to work out pretty well because um, it's self-guided and it's helpful to have um, reflections because we can't see our own eyebrows. You know, we really, yeah, true. we try, but we need a mirror <laughs> in order to see it. So, so true. that's what I offer. And it's, it's pretty successful. It's pretty helpful. And the group is very great. I like the group program. I also teach, you know, mentor people individually, but I personally love the group because look, you've got like, you know, 16 mirrors, you know? <laughs> like, wow, but that's more challenging too, isn't it? Well, it is because you get to see a whole lot of stuff about yourself. Maybe you don't like somebody in the group. You're like, oh, I don't like this person. And then you realize, oh, wait a second. That's part of my shadow. That's part of my unacknowledged part of myself. But, you know, like... I love what you do. I love the, your work though and how genuine and true you are to that wisdom within. Thank you. Talk to me about who... Oh, what is the white eagle? So white eagle is my guide, my soul guide. Because <laughs> say at some level, multidimensionally, it's my soul. And uh, it's an aspect of myself. And this uh, started coming in for me when I started on my spiritual journey. And actually, arguably, it was with me my whole life because there's other incidents I could bring out um, where I was touched upon it, but I didn't know that I was being touched upon. So um, when I really had the biggest message was uh, when I went to um, the Cherokee uh, replica village in the Smoky Mountains, looking for answers, looking for connection, because I have Cherokee ancestry, but my, um, my ancestor could pass for white. And so she, uh, she, you know, she gave up her heritage and married a white man and um, started over. And so as a result of that, I lost connection with that part of my ancestry. And I wanted to reestablish connection. So I went to the village looking for anybody who could help me, you know, hey, do you know any medicine people? You know, is anybody can help me with this? I got nowhere with it the first time I went. Then two years later, I was with my sons on a trip and we, we went there again and I asked again. And this time I met a man who said he could help me. And so I was leaving to go to the place he wanted to meet with me. And whether he did this or not, I don't know, but all of a sudden I received a, a ball of energy through the back of my head, right? Through where my head meets my, my neck. Felt like a big soft, soft ball of energy, just like whoosh. And all of a sudden I felt this space expanding in my brain and my vision. And I felt um, dis, dizzy and disoriented. And I, I felt like I needed to sit down. And I was telling my sons, I'm seeing the trees breathe, you know, like... <laughs> Oh, my perceptual filters changed. I mean, it was really trippy. And then I met with him after. And anyway, at that point, I started working with this presence within me that I became aware of, of this um, this Cherokee chief medicine man who was walking a trail of tears. And I felt like I had this tremendous grief that I was I was just processing all this grief and for years and um, talking and interacting with this aspect inside of me that was brand new. You know, I hadn't been aware of it before. So I did lots of healings. I, I mean, for years I worked on it and um, and getting little signs here and there about who it was or what was going on and this kind of thing. And so anyway, there's a, there, a more of that story is in the book, but, um, but the point being that, you know, it's so interesting 
to, to have the awareness, not only the awareness of different lifetimes that you've been incarnated on earth, but also to like be in, in, in embodiment with that, um, those other aspects and that are happening simultaneously, right? Cause there is no time. It's all sort of an illusion, but to have like that body sense knowing and integration is very profound to me. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. I really enjoy it. So, yeah, it is beautiful. Yeah, I agree. It feels like magic even. It feels like magic. Yeah, and magic happens because he's a really good healer. So, you know, my healings have taken on another whole level, you know, because I'm like, it's just open a white eagle. It's like things really happen. So, you know, now that we're doing it, but he's just, you know, I don't know. It's like a facilitation. Like I'm, they tell me I'm a door opener. So I open a door and then some kind of door or portal or something where this facilitates this healing process. And then of course, everyone's healing themselves. It's just, um, it's interesting. It's a fascinating experience to have. So I have a few more questions for you. I call them final questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage from your book? Well, you know, I would like to add that more than ever at this time, it's important for us to really realize that in order to make this world, you know, help this world transition, that we each have the invitation to have a courageous heart. So let me just read. A courageous heart is majestic like the lion because he is the manifestation of the divine walking the earth. And his knowing of this makes him strong, resilient, and powerful. A courageous heart is in her knowing as love, surrendered to love, emanating love from the center of her being where her divine spark guides the way. A courageous heart needs no protection because he is the protection by being the vibration of love on earth. And so a courageous heart lets down her armor and shines the light of her undefended heart. A courageous heart has become the medicine of love by knowing who he is in truth, who she is in truth, and taking the inspired actions of a transparent and vulnerable heart in faith and trust. Thank you so much, Gary, for the work you do. I'm thanking all the... Um, the spiritual guides as well. I think in the same way, the whole universe. What is another word for healing? There's another word for healing. I think another word for healing is witnessing and realigning, evolving. <laughs> yeah. If you knew you would lose the body soon, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I've asked this question recently and I the answer to me is to spend more time with the people I love, more presence, more presence with the people that I love. What are three things about this life, this reality, you know for sure? Well, I know for sure that this is a powerful time to be alive on earth. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is going to be an experience like none other. It is already proving that way. <laughs> And what I know is that I'm aligned and in connection etherically and embodied with so many beautiful souls on the planet at this time who are also here for the same purpose and feeling that community etherically as well as embodied. What I know is that this is just such a tremendous opportunity for each and every one of us to deepen our understanding of our own self and our own consciousness, our soul's evolution, this is just a tremendous opportunity. It's amazing. And I don't think we even have any clue about what's going to happen 
you know, it's a big uh, experiment. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. (laughs) So it's a very interesting time to be alive. I'm, I'm excited by the whole thing, all of it. Thank you so much for your presence, your wisdom, your um, peace, your peaceful message. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Well, thank you. Yes. So my website has as a jumping off point for all of that. It's uh, kerryhummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com. And from there, you can find out about The Second Wave, which is also on Amazon. You could find uh, my first book, Awakening to Me, which is uh, you know, a book about the first few years of my spiritual journey. Also, I have uh, courses up there, you know, short courses that I offer in addition to Butterfly Circle and uh, my Soul Nectar show, which is a broadcast that I do weekly. And I also have a free uh, gift for your audience. So um, anybody who would like to play a game with me, I I downloaded this game, which is really fun. And you can download it from my website for free. It's called the Love Mastery Game. And it is a game where it's an Oracle game, but not to tell you what's going to happen because that would be a spoiler. It's more about investigating why something's happening. Why is this thing happening? What's it, what's it raising up for me? What mastery lesson am I, am I learning? What state of being am I practicing? And uh, what earth allies, you know, I'm on earth. So what earth allies have medicine for me for my journey to teach me something new? And so this game is for that. And I recommend uh, downloading it, printing it, and then getting yourself a 12-sided dice so you can actually like roll the dice because that's like the game part. That's really fun, you know, <laughs> to roll mm. the dice and see that what sounds comes. fun to me. It is fun. <laughs> it's pretty insightful, this game. <laughs> yeah, I'll get one, definitely. I just thought about now. My husband and I, we should play that. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun, meaningful fun, spiritual fun, I would call it. So thank you so much again, Carrie, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Carrie Hummingbird, please visit her website, carriehummingbird.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.